What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 18 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise.co.uk. I am your host slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and I'm joined by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how the hell are you? I'm absolutely fantastic, mate. I'm glad to be here yet again for the Noise Podcast. We've been quite prolific, haven't we? Yeah, yeah man. It's, it's almost turned into a weekly podcast. <laughs> how often have we been doing it lately? <laughs> Uh, last time I saw you was uh, Tarantino's film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Have you recovered? <laughs> um, it's it's taken me a couple of days to sort of figure out what the fuck I actually saw, um, <laughs> to be quite honest. But yeah, um, on reflection, I thought it was a very, very, very enjoyable film. Yeah, really, I, I really good. enjoyed it. Really intelligent, as you'd expect with uh, Tarantino. Quite divisive when I look online, which you'd expect with Tarantino films. Apart yeah, from, of course. Apart from ones like um, Inglorious Bastards that have like quite a, a linear structure the tarantino films that you have to really work out what's going on they tend to be quite divisive and probably that's one of the best things about him isn't he yeah i ab- absolutely agree absolutely but, agree this is a fortnightly rock and metal podcast we are available on spotify apple music google stitcher radio pretty much wherever you could look to find a podcast we will be there on this week's show we're going to go through some of the news and we're going to go through some of the winners of the heavy music awards Sam's greatest metal albums of all time list is back, and this week's album review is on Not to Lucy's Different Shade of Blue. Fuck me, I can't wait to get into Sam's thoughts on that one. Uh, last week, we did review special episode on Shadow of Intense Melancholy and Kill Switch Engage's Atonement. I uh, just want to reiterate that that Shadow of Intense album fucking bangs, and I have mm-hmm. listened to it so many times <laughs> in the in the short space since it came out. My God, that's a special album. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Noise UK. You can like us on Facebook.com forward slash Noise UK. And up on Noise.co.uk at the moment is an interview with the pop punk three piece junior and an album review on Cult Dreams, Things That Hurt. Uh, Sam, just quick before we get into the actual show, uh, how is your dad coping with the ashes? Uh, not well. Um, Better today, it's... I hope, than yesterday. Yeah, 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 a bit, a bit, a bit better day, but he's um he's been a nervous wreck for about three or four days, mate. It's yeah, been, mate, um, my dad up and was, down. was a rolling ball of fury yesterday, um, and today yeah, that, that was embarrassing yesterday. Yeah, like, like I mean, I, I I really like cricket, but I'm not like you know a connoisseur of it. Like I, I don't know the the massive ins and outs. But I, I yesterday, like when you score sixty seven in a test match, I was like, fucking the Sam's dad must be furious. My dad was furious. Obviously much better today, but then my dad's pissed off because Man United lost two one to Crystal Palace. So, yeah, he literally cannot win. Oh no, absolutely not, man. It's uh it's a roller coaster of sports today. Should we get into some news, Sam? Yes, please, I'm excited. So wanted to start this week by talking about the fact that Slipknot's new album. Uh, we are not your kind. And uh, got number one in the UK and the US, uh, which is, you know what, man? Um, that's a that's a big thing in our world. That really is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely is. Especially when you can look at the artists that they were competing with. Yeah, like okay, uh, the Ed Sheeran album that he knocked off the top in the UK has been it for a few weeks. But regardless, it's Slipknot at number one in a chart in both the UK and the US. Uh, and so, if anyone was disputing. The size or importance of Slipknot to metal, there you have it, don't dispute it. It is indisputable evidence that they are uh, the, as important a cog in metal pretty much as any other band going, modern band at least anyway. Uh, historically, obviously, you would point to your uh, your big four, but in terms of modern metal, they are pretty much the front runners. They're, they're keeping things going for us. Now, metal doesn't need to, doesn't necessarily need the mainstream 
success or recognition for it to continue, as we have seen pretty much in the last decade and a half. But it's still cool to see it, isn't it, Sam? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just a reminder that the big metal bands can still compete with some of Pop's more heavyweight artists, which I think shows its reach. And I think Slipknot are deservedly in that category. And I think great metal albums from great metal bands do great do great things in the charts. And I still think that's a fantastic thing. Do you think this makes a difference into whether they continue on to do another record? No, uh, not frankly not. Um, but I think it just reminds them that, I mean, every Slipknot album would be <laughs> uh, at least top five, wouldn't it? Because the cachet, same with the Metallica album, probably. Um, so I, I think if the if they, oh, sorry, they didn't want to do music anymore, um, I don't think anyone would be saying, oh, well, we, we, we knew that it would be successful, so with the reason that we, we that those reasons we're going to continue to do it. I don't think that would be a dividing factor in those those sort of guys. It might in like twenty years if the money dries out, uh, but tend to, t- tends to be the bands make more money from tours now. So I don't think the monetary success of an album is enough to to bring bands together in this circumstance, especially if they, if they didn't want to do it in the first place. Just a caveat from that point, this album finds them at their most, for me, creatively inspired that they've been probably since All Hope, since before All Hope is gone. Uh, not so much in the sense of like, because it's an absolutely astonishing album. I, I think it's a very good album and, and, and just that. But do you think there's any chance that uh, the, this album finds them in a creative hotspot? Uh, it's a different album to anything they've done before when you break it down to its bounds. It gets number one. Is there any chance that, that they were in a room three months ago saying this will be our last one and then they found that this creative hotspot that they're in has pushed them to the number one to the top of the charts for the first time since Iowa uh, in the UK that's interesting and and then they go back and talk to themselves and be like oh well that was a different album to one we've done before and look what we achieved with it maybe we should just do one more album and just be weird as fuck with it and see if that one can push us any further I know I'm asking you to look into your mind's eye uh, but what do you think I think that if they're in a position, like you say, where they were considering one way or the other in terms of the way that their career was going and this success has swayed them another way, I accept it. But do we think this is Slipknot? Do we think they're having those conversations, period? Do we think that Slipknot are sitting around saying, this is it, this is us? Mid-40s. Um, yeah, but I, what does that mean now for modern musicians in 2019? You know what I mean? That if they all relatively speak and look after themselves... That, couldn't they conceivably do this for another decade, couldn't they? Uh, well, I'll, I'll put that back to you. Could they? Because there's a, we're going to go see Slipknot next January. There's a certain intensity level that we're going to be expe- <laughs> <laughs> that we're going to be expecting to yeah. see. Can you, you might, I can't, can't imagine, imagine the Slipknot acoustic tour happening in 15 years. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is, in 2029. Could they still do this? I don't know, man. Um, it would be fucking interesting. I, I, I don't want to see Clayton on the stage in 2029. I think he's like mid 50s now. Uh, Whacking think... a walking stick off a tin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like, I respect uh, Sean Crayon uh, to the ends of the earth, but I don't want to see him um, behind a trash can for Slipknot in 2029. Um, I don't want to see him behind a trash can for Slipknot in 2024, I don't think. Because I, I think, if I'm correct, he's in his at least early 50s 
Um, so yeah, if anyone's going to have to call it a day soon, I would imagine it's uh, it's Clarence. And also because man, he he has suffered some torment in his life, and maybe he just wants to be with his family for the rest of his life. And and fair play to him on that one. So yeah, uh, Slipknot still getting number one in the charts, which is absolutely great for metal. I don't need to tell the listeners this, but metal's alive and well. Uh, metal is probably the best it's been. Uh, me and Sam have been doing podcasts for four years. Uh, I've been listening to metal and paying attention to it for about six. I th- Me personally, in terms of my consistent listening to metal, I think this is the best place it's been in that six years in terms of uh, what's coming up. In terms of the bands, yeah, I, that, I, I would, in terms of the bands that are already massive and where they're going, I think it's a great time. Um, so, not fucking big, massive props to them. I really liked uh, We're Not Your Kind. I can't fucking wait to see them uh, next January. And I, I'm, I'm sure you uh, echo my sentiments outside of the fact oh, that yes. We're Not Your Kind being very good. So, no, you weren't massive on it. Um, but, mate, Slipknot, number one, it's great for metal. Absolutely. Just going to read you the headline of this next one, Sam. Uh, there's oh, not really, you? there's not really uh, a lot of the, there's not really much meat and bones. This news story that we can talk about, however, DNA research claims Ozzy is a quote genetic mutant unquote. Oh, I could have told you that without genetic. <laughs> you know what, mate? I knew you were going to say that. Um, <laughs> basically, uh, some guy uh, called Bill Sullivan has delved into a study and gone into uh, one of Ozzy's, like, gene pools and done some, like, crazy DNA Can you testing. imagine the shit they found in <laughs> that? Yeah. It was like, hang on, there's a fucking bat's eyeball over here. What the fuck's going <laughs> on there? Uh, basically, he's picked apart Ozzy's DNA and deciphered the fact that he's un- unlike 90% of the, of the Earth's humans, which, again, we probably didn't need to tell you, but fun nonetheless... You are um, a, a much, a much more adept with the uh, Black Sabbath history than me. Yeah. W- was Was Ozzy absolutely a mad ball from 1970 onwards? Like, or, or was it like a thing that come not come the mid 70s when he started really getting crazy, or was it just like from the get go he's the wild card? Um, he got progressively worse as it went along. So he started off and he just drank a lot because they all did because they were like four like factory workers from Aston in Birmingham. And it was the 70s, and what the fuck else was there to do? Um, but as the 70s took off, Black Sabbath got really famous. They all collectively got into cocaine, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of it, and sort of rock concerts in the 70s, you can imagine. And um, But Ozzy Osbourne himself, the peak of Ozzy Osbourne's craziness happened in the late 70s, early 80s, and pretty much didn't stop until Sharon Osbourne straightened him out. So that was the period when... He got kicked out of Black Sabbath because he was too mental, just drank too much and took too many drugs. And then created his own he created his own band and didn't change his behaviour in the slightest. That's when all the stories happened where he bit the head off the bat and the dove. And then he snorted the line of ants. And um, he took a piss up the Alamo, which is like this big Texan um, um, heritage sort of tribute to a battle. Um, that he urinated all over and he was just off the off his fucking rocker if you watch any if you watch any interview with Ozzy Osbourne between like 1981 and 1999 he does not know what's going on like in the fucking slightest um so yeah I, w- I would say I would say the peak of 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 peak Ozzy was happening in those early to mid 80s periods because no there was no one around him to pull him back let me ask all. you uh, what interview was he more clued up on? 
an interview in the mid 80s or that Vara one where the house says, Are you Sabonair? And he's like, No, yeah, I am, yeah, but uh, 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 the one that me and you cried at, the one that me and you cried at when we first saw. Honestly, it's a dead heat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's been he's been incoherent since like 1979 <laughs> like honestly it's a fucking astonishment i remember though um like obviously he had some health concerns in the last couple of years didn't he but i remember like a decade ago he fucking fell off a quad bike that he was fucking driving around in his back garden at like 54 and fucking broke his collarbone and couldn't tour and then came back six months later it's like well what the hell yeah, the, like, the end of this case. the end of this very small news story says Aussie. Meanwhile, will retu- return to tour in early 2020. <laughs> I don't think he's gonna course, die. He will. It's fucking unbelievable. I, th- I think I don't think he's gonna die. I think he's just gonna combust one day. Like Climate just... change is gonna destroy the earth, and Aussie will be the last man standing. Aussie on cockroaches. <laughs> it's gonna be hanging out together. It's gonna be 2156, and Aussie will just announce his Mars tour. <laughs> Yeah, this is my uh, this is my final. <laughs> <laughs> so a oh, new well. story that actually has got some proper meat to it, Sam is. Uh, so what did an interview, um, with James Hetfield, yeah, on yeah. the base of and Justice for All. Now, uh, yes. again, let me put this to you first. And Justice for All is an incredible metal album, Sam. Yeah. But, before I tell you what the actual content of this interview is, what do you think is the reason why there is little to no base in Unjustice for All? I think it's a collection of reasons. Number one, they didn't rate Jason Newstead in the slightest uh, in comparison to Cliff Burton. Number two, they all wanted their instruments to be as loud as possible, and by their I mean James and Lars. Number three... They had complete creative and studio control over the the sound of Unjustice for All for the first time, and and it all came out of this like very negative collection of emotions that followed Cliff Burton's death. Um, like they, Cliff Burton died in September. They hired Jason Newsted in October. By late October, they were touring in Japan. Like they just yeah, went there crazy, just, just straight away. Um, and then they started obviously writing on Justice while on tour, recorded it, and then went back out. They didn't really get home until like 1989, 1990, and then they started 18 months of working on the Black Album, and then the Black Album came out, and then they fucked off on tour until 1993. I don't think Lars Ulrich saw the inside of his house until 96. I don't know what the fuck was going on. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, so... I, I I think I think a lot of the reasons were number one they never really they never got past Cliff Burton's death for a long time and they took it out on Jason Newstead. There's loads of stories of that anyway, like how they bullied him and um, were nasty to him and did loads of shit to him and, and and whatever, like lots of like hazing and all that sort of stuff in the bands. It's clear that he was the the run to the litter. They took out a lot of it, especially James. And on top of that, Lars and Lars and James sat in the studio and they both turned their instruments up to such a degree that it cancelled out the remaining bass anyway. And they were obsessed with having this particular type of precise um, sound that eventually led to Jason Newstead being ostracised. I don't think they woke up one day and thought, fuck that guy. But I don't think anyone in the band was campaigning for him to get louder either. So I'm just going to read pretty much verbatim what Headfield's response was when he was asked if Newstead ever actually spoke to him and Lars about the bass sound. Uh, this is uh, Hetfield here. 
Uh, he probably did. I don't know what my answer was then, but it was kind of done. I mean, I will say it's not all about fuck him, let's turn him down, that's for sure. We wanted the best sounding record we could make. That was our goal. We were burnt, we were frigging fried, going back and forth, playing a gig, no earplugs, no nothing. You go back into the studio, you're hearing shots. If your ears can't hear any high end anymore, you're going to turn it up. So we're turning the high end up more and more and more, and all of a sudden the low end's gone. So I know that played a bigger part than any haze or any ill feelings towards Jason, Jason for sure. We were fried. Uh, we were burned. Uh, that was via uh, Blabbermouth, I should mention. Mm. Uh, so, oh, mate, I don't know about this answer. I don't right? buy that. Yeah, all. I mean, so what, that makes it, what, so fucking James and Lars are the only people in the studio and they've got no hearing, so all the low end gets turned down. I ain't about that, man. Um, obviously, there's something further at works that went on there. But it is actually one of the more fascinating stories of metal, isn't it? Because yeah. the album is so exceptional. And Jason Newstead was such a fantastic bass player. And you always said to me that uh, Metallica were at the best when Newstead was in the band. And a few weeks ago, we sat and we watched Seattle 89 or 91, That's was right, it? Yeah, 89, mate. 89. And 100%, yes. That... that show that you that you were uh, put on for me that's the best i've ever seen metallica yeah and... they, 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 they don't they don't get better than that yeah they were absolutely like astonishing so it's strange man like this is one of the more fascinating stories of metal and when you break it down you know did it having no bass certainly didn't hurt the album I mean, the album was absolutely astonishing as it is but when you look back you think, man, imagine blackened with bass. I think me and you said that to each other all the time, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what it would have done is it would have propelled propelled uh, and Justice for All into into those Master of Puppets Ride the Lightning conversations. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah, there's there's always if you there's always a little bit of a there's an asterisk you have to put with and Justice for All. And you have to say, look, ignore the production. Just listen to the songs. Imagine one with bass. Oh man! Like, you know what I mean? Like, it. it, it some imagine Harvester of Sorrow with a bit more low end in those riffs, and it. It is. It's a very sad thing that took place, but they were. There are, there's an element. There's a large element of truth in terms of of Metallica um, and James. What he was saying in terms of the way that the band were at that time. So. They were they were touring all the time, they were and they were knackered and they were burnt out, um, and they were constantly working around and, and things like that. But I, I, I number one I don't for a second think that that Lars and James suddenly forgot how to hear. I don't think it made that much of a difference. And I also think that if your hearing's fried, then fucking talk to the producer. Yeah, absolutely. So that that, that <laughs> a... kind of bridges off my point that what there were only two people in the room. Spanish yeah, exactly. There, there was a guy that they were telling to turn stuff down and turn stuff up, and that that's it. There was I don't know if it was Fleming Ramusen or it was somebody else, but um, I don't I don't buy that. I think if you read between the lines of what's going on there, it was like we said, like like he said, he probably talked to us. He definitely did. I don't remember <laughs> yeah. my al- I don't I don't remember my answer because it was probably negative and you were drunk. Um, Jason Newstead said he had said himself he didn't actually they didn't have time to remix the album and he had just joined the band and he didn't feel he didn't feel that he had enough weight in the room to turn around and say there's no fucking bass in there we need to remix it it was like the album's out we're going on tour and he was like okay you know what I mean so yeah. 
he didn't have he didn't feel like he could turn around to James and Lars and say what the fuck is going on here like this is this is ridiculous and that's just understandable but I very much think it was if they didn't turn around and say to each other let's take him out I don't think that that that's, that that was at all what happened but I definitely think that they thought eh it sounds better without. So, moving on to the Heavy Music Awards, Sam. Yes. Now, I want to make great mention of this because Heavy Music Awards have always been great to us. We've been there for the last two years. Not me and you personally, but a member of Noise. Uh, yes. The Heavy Music Awards is uh, in its third year now. It's moving on strength to strength. Uh, this year, Cancer Bats and Loathe played, which it must I would have loved to have been there. Fucking like Cancer Bats in a small little room and Loathe. God, there must be bones still hanging outside of the fucking speakers. <laughs> So, the reason why I wanted to make mention of this, not just because they were courteous enough to let us be there, but I'm just going to run through some of the winners of the categories. So, Architects won Best Album for Holy Hell and Best Live Band. Good call. Parkway Drive won Best International Band. Best International Breakthrough was Fever 333. Best UK Band was Bring Me the Horizon. Best UK Breakthrough was Dream State. Now... Outside of Dream State, which is a band that I'm not massively familiar with, stood on the sides while they played at 2000 Dreams. I was drinking, wasn't really paying much attention, so I wouldn't really feel like I have enough knowledge to talk about their qualities. In Architects Parkway Drive, Fever 333 and Bring Me the Horizon, are those not the bands that are carrying or will be carrying alternative music forward for the next decade? They're the bands that are doing that, aren't they? Without a shadow of a doubt. And that's why this Music Awards is so absolutely phenomenal, because there's no tokenistic bullshit here. There's nothing like how Megadeth won Best Metal album, best metal Performance at the Grammys. or <laughs> I forgot about that. Or any kind the of... The Master of Puppets is like, as you can't Yeah, scared. I mean, that is banter, to be fair. Or any kind of just tokenistic, oh, let's give something to Anthrax because they're a classic metal band. Nah, none of that. We're going to give it to the bands that are doing the best things right now and are making the best movements right now. Uh, Fever 333, I am chomping at the bit to see them live with you. That is going to be a really, really astonishing night for me because I love the band and I loved Let Live. And unfortunately, as we said many times, we got into Let Live at the very, very end. But Fever 333 are 100% a band that I think could do some serious, serious damage to mainstream uh, thoughts on metal and I mean that in a positive sense uh, Parkway Drive yes they are the best international band in terms of international bands that are not at, not quite yet at your huge 100% your festival headliner level Parkway Drive are 100% the best Bring Me The Horizon um, you know other the best UK band I probably would have given it to Architects as well personally but yeah. but regardless um I don't dislike it being given to bring me. Ammo continues to grow on me. I saw them headline all points east. That was terrific. And Architects, of course, the one best album with Holy Hell and the one best live band because Holy Hell was, again, I'll say it, in my opinion, the best thing that's happened to British metal in a long time. And Architects are the best live band in Britain. I, I don't think that's um, a controversial thing to say. I mean, we saw them at Wembley Arena. How many British bands... And I'm just dropping this on you off the top of a hat, but... How many British bands have you seen recently that you would say were better than Architects on that night? Um, you know, it's just not there, is it? No, I don't think so. Like as terrific as While She Sleeps are, I mean, you absolutely dote over them. It's just not they're not in the same 
level yet. No, no, they're not. No, 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 no. Absolutely right. Might come in the future. So, I just wanted to make a mention for Heavy Music Awards because this kind of stuff is important. I am usually against award ceremonies for music because I think so much of it is just plain outright tokenism. I I mean, the Brits I can't stand, but I remember the Brits nominating Eagles of Death Metal for for some kind of award. I forgot the actual award itself. But that was just after that um terrorism attack in Paris, right? When mm-hmm. they were when, when they were playing That's that right, show, yeah. when they were playing that show. And I understand what the Brits were doing. They you know, they're trying to you know, give some kind of positivity in a horrendous horrendous situation. But man, that is so tokenistic and just bullshit. If I asked someone from the Brits to name me one Eagles de- of Death Metal song, they would not be able to do so. I mean, neither would I, because I'm not a fan of theirs at all. But no, that, but you that, didn't give them an award either, did you? No, Jimmy, that, that's just complete blatant tokenism. I think it was just that—that that was one of the reasons why, why I usually dislike award ceremonies. However, in this case, th- these awards have gone to bands that actually deserve the awards, and and they've been given it correctly. And when you've got bands like Loathe and Cancer Bats playing as well, those are bands that could do with the exposure. Loathe are a young band, which I believe will be huge, and Cancer Bats are a band that everyone needs to see at least once in a tiny little building. We saw them at Bloodstock. The sound got lost in the wind. And also, the, they shouldn't be on the main stage. I saw them at 2000 Trees. They were fucking phenomenal uh, in a small little tent. Everyone needs to see cancer bats in a small arena once in their life. <clears throat> Mate, uh, let us pick up back on the 100 greatest metal albums of all time. This because we have, unfortunately, not been able to include this. We've had some stacked for, episodes the last couple of weeks. For a few weeks, yeah. It's been difficult to fit them in. Imagine if we'd have put in this list uh, as well as the two-hour episode. <laughs> we might still be doing that podcast, yeah. we, I think. So, if I remember correctly, what you said to me was this is going to be from 53 to 50? That's correct, yes. Uh, get cracking, man. All right, okay, we'll rattle through. Um, at number 53, we've got Deep Purple Machine Head. Um, it's a classic metal album by a classic heavy metal band, um, and it is in here, number one, because it's one of the best albums. It's widely recognised. I mean, Kerrang put it at number 35 on the greatest heavy metal albums ever list that they put together a few years ago. Uh, internationally, uh, internationally lauded by a collection of bands, including you know Judas Priest, Ryan Maidens, of course, the very influential Metallicas, things like that. And, of course, it is the album that features Smoke on the Water. I was going to say the birth of the infamous Smoke on the Water. Uh, is, there a, is there a more recognisable rock or metal riff? I don't believe there is. And, and it, you know, like, it, 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 it's... It it kicked off a little bit of that and it, it propelled them so far. But it's it's a great album in its own right as well. It's got Highway Star on it as well. Got a few of the massive tunes that really sort of propelled them um, throughout the rest of their career. But it's if you were picking um, like a top ten or fifteen rock or metal albums from the seventies and the eighties, this album would have to be in that sort of top fifteen, I think, by 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 a landslide because of the effect that it had, the success that it gave Deep Purple. And just the just the, the the pair of the rift here, like Richie Blackmore, um, was his absolute peak here on Highway Star and Smoke on the Water. And it is just one of the quintessential. You have to have heard this riff. You have to have heard a couple of these tunes, um, because of the impact that had on the genre as a whole and the influence that followed afterwards. So it's Deep Purple Machine at number fifty-three. One just little caveat point from of course of course that a lot of people always talk shit about the simplicity of smoke on the water but you've always said so rightly why didn't you write it then 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, someone um, someone said the same to to, to Noel Gallagher saying about Wonder War. Oh yeah, it's only it's only C E C and G. Was it? Yeah, but you didn't fucking play it. Exactly. Uh, and it, 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 do you know what I mean? Like the 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 skill is in the simplicity. The skill is in the simplicity to make something that memorable and make something that perfect. And metal doesn't have to be. The best riffs are not the ones that you can't sing along to. They're the ones that you can. Exactly. What a great point. Exactly. That. Like, 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 Enter Sandman, Rain in Blood, um, fucking Wild Eyes, Wild Eyes <laughs> yeah, Wall, Iron Man, Riff, yeah. Fear of the Dark, which is coming up next. Uh, well, the one after next. Um, but riffs you can sing, um, songs you remember. And Deep Purple, as much as many massive 70s and 80s bands like Sabbath and, and Latterly Maiden and things like that, have, have created a template for what the modern great guitar riff sounds like. And that deserves mention here. So coming up next? Judas Priest, Painkiller. Um, you'd Actually, Chris, uh, this is a Judas Priest album you'd actually like. It's really heavy for Judas yeah, Priest. Yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah. It's not like Breaking the Law and shit. It's not. Oh, it's, it's like got, legit like metal. It's it's got yeah, it's got double kick pedals and genuinely heavy riffs. And Rob Halford's voice is not for everyone, but it veers more in the screaming aggression sense here than it does the high pitch wailing. Does that make what sense? Year, what year did this come out? Nineteen ninety. Oh right, okay. So quite far into their career, and this wasn't one of the early albums. Absolutely. So they made an active decision to write a metal uh, a metal album because that's where they thought the um, the industry was going, like late 80s, early 90s and things like that. They wanted to get a little bit heavier. And it worked. Like, Painkiller is, is one of the great, in my opinion, I think it's the best Judas Priest. I'm my personal favourite. Um, but there are a couple of others that have really sort of set a precedent elsewhere. The reason that it's here is as quality. It's a very good natural metal album. And then on top of that, the song, the title track, Painkiller, and songs like Touch of Evil and things like that have helped propel Judas Priest into the metal elite. These, this album is one of the main reasons why um, they're so heralded. This is the these are the sort of this is the album really that gets them to headline Bloodstock. Do you know what I mean? Like if you if you if they didn't have this album, I don't think they'd be headlining those metal shows and be as revered in the metal world. I was just about they're, to ask you this: How many years did this album add on to their career, in your opinion? Uh, well, it's a great question, man. Um, in the metal, in the metal world, the world that we live in, I think it's added as long as that it's been since then. <laughs> to, be, to, to, be, to, be, to be frank, because a few years ago they were touring with Megadeth. Right. Uh, Megadeth was supporting. Um, this this album doesn't come out, and they're fucking they're touring with like I don't know, like UFO or like like one of those Wild Hearts bands. Do you know what I mean? It, it took them in a different direction because. Originally, they were like a hard rock, heavy metal sort of band, but this actually is a legit metal album. Again, I was just going to ask, uh, how much of a differentiation was this from their previous album, which, I, if I remember correctly, was called Ram It Down or something like that? Yeah, I believe so. It, it's Yeah, you're absolutely right. 88, Ram It Down. Um, it's a notable, a notable heavy difference. Uh, they had a new drummer. Uh, I think that helped. So we're talking like double pedals and blast beats rather than sort of your standard like driving metal uh, heavy metal sort of sounds and the guitar work here kk downing is an incredible guitarist you should hear the song painkiller you should hear some of the 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 the, the, the guitar riffs on here and that it is it's proper like headbanging classic metal 
and it's it it deserves it deserves a mention because I think it propelled Judas Priest from a great hard rock slash heavy metal band slash remember them they used to wear leather and be really frightening to a legit respected metal band and I think this this album is the most metal of them. So you alluded to it just is this where uh, Maiden coming? Yes, sir. Uh, uh, the next one at number fifty one is Iron Maiden's Fear of the Dark album. So. Uh, for people who aren't aware, uh, the classic metal stuff I'm nowhere near as familiar with as Sam. So, at what point in their career was this album out, dude? This is not. This is 1992. Um, okay. So it's about so a like decade. Ten, about... ten years after. Yeah. Um, the like what the the most wildly heralded album like was it called Number of the Beast? And yeah, that's right. So it's a, yeah. yeah, that's right. So it was it was it's Bruce Dickinson's last album with Maiden before he left for the first time. Right, okay. And then he came back later in sort of 95, 96. Um, but it's got... We could be dead, Wasted Love, Tattooed Millionaire. Um, some really some really great tunes on there. Really solid, great album. And honestly, you get with metal, there are a few foundational bands that hold up the entire genre. It's Sabbath, it's Metallica, it's Iron Maiden. And a good metal, a good Maiden album is I can't even express to you, and I'm sure you understand. Is is it's exponentially more influential than a, a good album by a variety, uh, almost ninety percent of the rest of the the genre. What do you believe makes them so? The legitimate song structure and quality of production. I think I think the song I think the song structure definitely helps. I think what Maiden do more than anybody else is they write um, really beautifully intricate guitar riffs that are not just impressive, but that can be sung and can be hummed and can be tapped along. And really massive, memorable choruses. And they've never been afraid to get you singing, and never been afraid to get you singing along. Uh, rather than that, you, nobody really headbangs to Maiden. They're not heavy, but they're a great fucking collection of songwriters. And the song "Fear in the Dark," the actual song itself. I've just remembered the the actual title track. Yes, it is amazing. Actually, it, yes, it's astonishing. It it's astonishingly yeah, good. It is amazing. Yeah, and 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 it's become a staple of their live performance, and it's become one of the things that really propelled them from a great metal band to like, oh my god, look what ninety thousand people are doing to this song, and I I, I think I think Maiden are fantastic, and I think this is one of their underrated albums, but. This absolutely deserves a place in here because a, a good Maiden album with a song like Fear of the Dark in, it's only it's only like an hour long, it's so sort of like nine tracks, um, but it's 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 terrific. And, and it, like, like with Painkiller on, on Priest and Machine with Deep Purple, it's a legendary band producing one of their better albums in a genre that without that band would be very, very different. So it has to be in here. And to round off this week's list... Um, Controversially, I think, um, but I love it so much. It has to be here. Van Halen, nineteen eighty-four. So, describe to me what the controversy would be with this decision. It's very synth-heavy, and it has the song "Jump" on it. What a banger that is! <laughs> um, Mate, but you would describe it as a metal song. No, you? you would. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Uh, but, but the reason that it's in here is number one, it, for for a hard rock heavy metal album, sold by the fucking bucket load yeah like by the fucking bucket load dude and has jump panama oh, shit, it's got hot for teacher on as well i'm just looking at the, hot for um... teacher 
I was looking at the track list now. Yeah, man, this had to be in this had to be in the list. This is this is one of the greatest albums I've ever heard. Period. Yeah, this in, had to in, be in, the in, in terms of like the uh, the riffs, the musicianship, the vocals, and at the time it was like, oh, <laughs> Van Halen are picking up synths. I wish they were just a rock. You know how it is yeah, in the eighties. Yeah. It was happening as well. Like, oh, they put down the synths, man. Why is why is it Eddie Van Halen just playing guitar and, and that sort of stuff? And that actually led to David Lee Roth, who's the vocalist in Van Halen. One of the reasons why he left, because he said he quite famously said to um, to the band, including Eddie Van Halen, "We've got the best fucking guitarist in the world. who's just played on Beat It, but he's more interested in playing his fucking keyboard in that, in Van Halen, the rock oh, band shit. that he's in." Uh, and and it was like, why well, are you more happy to play metal song, metal guitar styles on pop songs, but in fucking the rock band that you're in, you're going to play your keyboard? Uh, so it got it got very heated, um, but as an album, I think this perfectly combines uh, Van Halen's ability to write really great riffs and driving rhythms and great songs, and the synth element I think ups it. I think adds a different different edge. I think jumps incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and, and the, the musicianship between him rotating between those guitar solos and that that little flurry of the synths at the end and the way that it kicks in, and then. Hot for Teacher, which came out two years before um, Slayer's Angel of Death, by the way. So that, that two years before that, before Dave Lombardo was doing the whole double kick thing, you hear the intro to Hot for Teacher, and I think that's that to me sounds like the birth of metal drumming at the the first minute and a half of that song, and the the tapping that happens. Van Halen were metal as fuck before metal happened. Yeah, like. Like and I, sh- I remember, I remember when we were on the plane back from New York, and I, and I was talking to you about the first Van Halen, which which is later in this list because I think it's incredible. It came out in 1979, but I could have convinced you it came out a decade ago. Yes, I, I, I listened to it on the plane back from New York, and I, I said to you and stand by this, they were light years ahead of their time. Light absolutely, years. absolutely agreed. And Van Halen were light years ahead of their time in this circumstance as well, because yeah. um, it wasn't long before big rock bands started experimenting with electronics. Like, fair enough, like, they weren't the first because bands like Genesis and stuff were doing it and things like that, the prog metal bands, and I'm not saying that they were the first ones, but it was a big leap for a band like Van Halen to, to, to be playing like that and for it to work as well and for them to have, um, like, real commercial success and MTV success in 1984, which is, like, the king of hair metal. And I don't feel guilty for putting this on. This isn't like me putting Bon Jovi Slippery When Wet or, like, Europe's The Final Countdown on here or something no. by fucking... Rose Tattoo, something shit. This is <laughs> this is like a genuinely great rock and metal album coupled with some in, so impressive musicianship. And um, yeah, Eddie Van Halen did this and then um, did beat it on Michael Jackson's um, Michael Jackson's beat it and played all the guitar on that, which I found out recently he didn't take a percentage on. He had the opportunity to refused. Oh shit! He, he took a flat payment instead, oh, and he was he was oh, like. Eddie. Yeah, it was like I'll have fifty grand or something, and then his lawyer was like, "Are you fucking mental?" It was like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't care about the money." It was like if you took a, if you took one percent of this, Eddie, you'd be a multi-millionaire. Oh, Eddie! Like a percentage? Yeah. <laughs> like because you obviously you get the performance, but then because he's technically, technically the royalties as a part songwriter. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> that that on, hurts me. A song on Thriller. 
Which that he sold like 70 million albums. That hurts me. I know, oh, like he could have conceivably didn't. never picked up a guitar ever again. Um, which would have been obviously incredibly sad. But anyway, this is um, this is one of the all-time great rock and metal albums. And uh, that's it. It has to be here. has to be here. So, Sam, we are going to move on to this episode's album review. Yes. It comes from Knocked Loose. The album is called A Different Shade of Blue. It is already out. Just before we get into this review, actually, I said at the end of the last week's episode that we were going to do both Knocked Loose and Wage War. Uh, we've been told that Wage War is embargoed until the 30th of August. So we're going to be nice boys and we're going to respect the PR's request. So we won't be reviewing Wage War on this week's episode. We might... We insert, I'm going to talk to you about it. We might do a one-off episode again next week to talk about the new Tool album and Wage War. Yeah, that's fine with me, and I think that we should. Uh, yeah. Tool album is really important. Yeah, Tool album is absolutely huge. It'll be the first Tool album I will have ever listened to, apart from Lateralus in full. So that'll be interesting to see my... So yeah, fuck it, we're going to do an episode next week as well. Uh, Wage War and Tool reviews. Uh, so yeah, that's why uh, Wage War is not on this week's. Uh, it will be on next week's. Also, I said I was going to interview Joe Nan from Nuclear Blast. He is actually ill at the moment, so I'm going to try and work out a different time uh, to get him on the show. But he is coming on, he just want to do it, and I also am really interested to have a chat with him. So on to uh, Not Lose, A Different Shade of Blue. It came out on the... <coughs> Sorry, someone's talking my throat then. Uh, the 23rd of August. So Sam... I remember the first time I introduced you to Knock Loose. Yes. It was in our local uh, rock and metal club. Billy No Mates came on. And I, <laughs> I, I, I did some behaviours. Uh, and you messaged, me, <laughs> you, you, you messaged me the next day and was like, who was that band that came on when you fucking really kicked off and you were telling me how sick the song is, etc, etc. And I was like, oh, that was Knocked Loose, Billy Now, mate. So have you not heard them before? You were like, well, I've heard the name, but I've never really listened to them. Um, and to my knowledge, you, from that point, you just loved Billy Now, mate, and then you dived in and out of yeah, uh, the record that Billy Now, mate, was on, which was called Laugh Tracks. You never actually, to my knowledge, really sat down and took Knocked Loose in as a, as a product. No, that's, I think that's, that's fair to say. I did, I did a dip. So, A Different Shade of Blue would be the first time that you've sat down with a Not Loose album in its entirety. And I say that, they've had, <laughs> it's only the second album they've ever done. Uh, but regardless, when you are sitting with an album that's going to come from a band like Not Loose, were you just hoping for repeats of Billy Now Mates with a few different musical arrangements or were you going into this thinking let's see if they can change this up completely and uh, take my jaw off in a different way no I wasn't I wasn't sitting down expecting them to do anything differently to what they had previously done I think when bands have album number two I think it's very rare for them to completely go off the reservation that early on um but with Not Loose they're a band that have completely built a reputation already in a notoriety for heaviness absurdly and, quickly as well might I add. yeah and, in... and the crowd and the crowd responses and things like that and i and, and if i were them i wouldn't fuck with that no and uh, so I, I i heard the single obviously a couple of weeks beforehand which was the least surprising single that they could have dropped in terms of the way that it sounds and i was like cool um i expect not loose to be like oh we'll get to this later but no um I, I expected this to be a jarring experience. 
So it's important for us to just make a point on the fact that Not Loose um, have already made like a reputation as one of the you must see this band, which is very, very difficult when you're on your first album. Yeah, well, there's so many great metal albums and so many great metal bands and performance for, for the average metal band now, I think, is at an all time high. Yes, I 100% agree with ba- that. Ba- bands, bands, bands look after themselves. Bands drink less. Um, I'm not saying that ba- I'm not saying that the bands don't go out and fuck about and, and and take drugs and stuff like that. Obviously they do, but like in 2019, people are more, people are healthier. They look after themselves more. Gigs are easier to get to. Gigs are easier to play. Uh, the musicianship is better. I think every element. It's like athleticism in sports. Yeah, there's more professionalism involved. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and they have every advantage. And I just think they're better at their own game. So, for, yeah, you're absolutely right. For one album and a half, essentially, because this has been out a day, um, to establish a reputation as a must-see live band. I mean, it just doesn't happen in metal. It, do, it does not happen. And, yes, they are um, known for, because it's ultra-violent, but all, because I've actually never seen Not Loose Live. We will be seeing them live in November. With I'm very scared. With, with Malevolence. Fucking hell, that's going to be a time. But from w- reviews that I've read and from pe- and music journalists that I respect that have spoken about them, yes, it's really violent and that's really interesting to see. But also their performance levels are just incredibly, incredibly high from the second they get on the stage to the second they come off. So they're a band that in the space of an album have become one of the you-must-see bands, which is fucking difficult because, listen, they are not the only heavy hardcore band out there. They are one of several several hardcore bands so they so regardless of the violence level they always need to be at the top of their performance level as well to make themselves a must-see band and for me a different shade of blue with that knocked loose are not just another sardine in the tin of hardcore no for me this album is not loose putting herself at the absolute apex of hardcore I think this album is astonishingly good. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. This was... Um, I expected this to be really heavy. I expected me to punch, in, to punch me in the jaw for about 45 minutes. But I didn't expect it to go this hard. I didn't expect it to punch this much. It's absurdly heavy, isn't it? Yeah, honestly, it's incredible. Um, this is like... Man, like... We tend, to, we tend to err on the side of hyperbole here. But this has got like a early slipknot level of chaos here i'm not saying they're saying the same because they don't they're no, two, they're different, two but, different bands but, but they actually the, the, really review agree with what you're saying the, the just this the level of 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 what the fuck to describe it like there's like venom eat like leaking from this album like this is this album has teeth this album's like that book that Hagrid gives out at the start of Prisoner of Azkaban that fucking bites all the kids' hands off. Yeah. Uh, and yet you have to fucking, like, wrestle it down. It, it's got... It's a life of its own. It is absurd. This is... I think this is to heart... I think this is the shot in the arm that hardcore needs. A, 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 a genre that has several shots in the arm. Um, but even so, this is by far and away. And, and I think that knock loose now if they continue on this vein and they, they have a successful tour and this thing with malevolence is going to probably um end several lives um but 
I think they have a chance to be in the every time I die legendary hardcore oh, band yes. reputation. Oh god, yes. In like four years, because if they keep produ- if they produce albums like this after laugh tracks and they produce another album like this afterwards we're going to be looking back in 10 years and saying that's like a holy trident of the genre yeah um and i'm already i'm already i'm already seeing myself say that because not loose come on in in a venue or they play live and it is tangible the difference between the previous track and the one that you're listening to currently yeah the effect that it has it is like honestly there's like a like a tremor it's it's really difficult to describe just the guttural heaviness here and the noises that the guitarist is about uh, is able oh, to create. We will get to that. And some of the some of the vocal guest performances on this <laughs> album. Mate, Keith Buckley on this. Oh and, my god. And and some of their vocal performances. I, I I've heard the Knockloose Screamer, and then I heard that I don't know if it's another guy doing a more guttural thing. And I'm turning to the album like, who's this? And it's just the band. And I'm like, <laughs> is it not loose featuring the demon from Lord of the Rings? What the <laughs> fuck is going on? Like the Balrogs on this. Um, <laughs> like, it's fucking astonishing. Um, this is one of the. I would say it's it, it's one of the most chaotic and violent and aggressive albums i have ever had the fortune to review this is um i used to find hardcore really dull to be honest i can see why um because three songs in i'm like okay i get it and you a lot of the time it's repetitive and the vocalists don't have enough range to actually create choruses and the, the musicians tend not to be good enough it's it's like slow punk do you know what i mean Remember when and, we reviewed that Hatebreed album and we were like, was this one song? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So w- the thing is, is when hardcore's done badly, it's fucking tin. It is terrible. <laughs> um, but when it is done well, I appreciate it even more because I think it's really fucking difficult to make something like this sound different to everybody else, to make it stand on its own, to give it a sense of uniqueness. And this... Rather than sounding like one song, it doesn't. But it does sound like one continual stream of hatred. Yeah. And that's a compliment. So it's thematically similar and similarly similarly nasty and chaotic. And I think just from the moment it starts... Uh, oh, my Belleville. Oh. Yeah, incredible. Um, I think but my personal um, highlights for me are Belleville, I Love By The Grave... Oh, Fuck me. That has got a really, really unforgiving breakdown the, 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 in that. The sinister, the sinister intro riff as well made me think, oh, that's a bit Slayer. Yeah. As well, like the weight. I, I love and still I wonder south, obviously. Um, mistakes like Fractures is a fucking terrifier. Uh, and I love the finishing. Uh, Misguided Sun, I think, is absolutely fantastic. And so is In The Walls. This this album, um, and Trapped in the from Grasp of Memory, honestly, this, this whole album's terrific, I'll be honest. Mate, Misguided uh, Sun's got legitimate like black metal. Yeah, it? it's, it's got it's got moments to it, hasn't it? It's got moments. And that's where that's where I thought of the Slipknot thing because it's like when you listen to Slipknot the first time, it's like, what the fuck is this? What genre is this? And it's 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 a little bit like this. It's still rooted in hardcore, but there's so much other elements of stuff. And the addition of those guttural vocals that have given it another, given it another tangible shift, and the addition of the the guest vocalists, they seem like a very self-aware band, strangely. Um, 
because you, you, you wouldn't think that because the style of music. But this seems like a band that have, have actually experienced a real level of growth. And that is, but it's also blended perfectly with their ability to to find consistency in what they've done. I, I think this is this is brilliant. I, Chris, I I'm gonna go out on a limb here. It's August 2019. Where does this year rank in the years of metal? Oh my god, mate. Um, we have Wage War next week. We have uh, albums that are coming out, which we can't really say much about at the minute. But mate, fucking hell. It's it's up there. Like I, I remember it's that there. I remember that great twenty sixteen year when we had after the burial and periphery and uh, Parkway's Aya. Yeah. And I remember thinking this is this is a fucking good year. This is because the previous year was shite. And um, this this one is is kind of blowing that out of the water. So I said in my review that I view this album as knocked Lucy's Iowa. Not in yeah, the, nice. not not in a musical um, context, but more in the sense of with Iowa Slipknot took what took the insanity from the self-titled album and moulded it into a multifaceted musical machine that they could push forward and and show no we can do something cohesive and still turn the insanity up. This album somehow a different shade of blue is heavier than laugh tracks, and you could not have convinced me. Three weeks ago, this album would be heavier than Laugh Tracks. <laughs> that was even possible. You, because I would say to you, surely not. Because Laugh Tracks was was a, a fucking just a punch to the temple for forty minutes. Laugh Tracks, but this is even more so. Just so absolutely uh, fucking brutally aggressive. But by the same token, much like we were saying with Shadow of Intent last week, this this isn't just like an album where like, oh yeah, it's just like a fucking breakdown, it's fucking down tuned fucking drop G. No, it is but, not. No, th- th- that's not what this is. This is an incredibly, incredibly heavy album. Uh, you, you need a really strong taste for alternative music to be able to take this in and enjoy. But this album has legitimate instrumentational proficiency that you won't find in not just in hardcore in many places um the rhythm section on this album uh, I, I actually struggle to to describe uh cole crutchfield is the guitarist and kevin kane is the drummer and uh will putney produced this our friend from uh Thy murder production oh fantastic just, just thought i mean i put actually mentioning that i think this is by far the best thing i've heard him produce um his production in- on this i think is amazing Oh, what I think, what I think he's done beautifully here is he hasn't actually tidied anything up. Um, this doesn't, this doesn't sound like Not Loose have been sent to the polisher. No, and then no. they, they come out sounding like fucking Avenged Sevenfold. Um, because if you've got a band like that, you want this to sound punishing. You want this to sound raw, because the riffs are fucking raw. Yeah. This is like, this is a dirty warehouse of an album, and and I think, and I think he's what he's done is he's. he's He's maximised the volume and the impact of the songs, but he hasn't taken anything away in terms of the level of harshness um, from the album. And I think that's got to be an incredibly tough thing to do because as a, as a producer, right, you're naturally you must be naturally inclined to make everything sound perfect. That's got to be that's got to be ingrained into your like, I don't know, your training or your experience, yeah. right, to make everything sound as good as possible. So to actively look for ways for it to be sounding so spartan and uh but to still massive I, I i agree with you i think it's a tremendous achievement brian garris the vocalist on this 
He's un- he's inhuman. Is it, it the same dude amazing. doing both sets of vocals, yeah, please? Yeah, yeah, it's that, him. No, no, it's fucking... It's cancelled, that is. He's, <laughs> he's, he's a cyborg, he is. I don't fucking get it. He is absolutely incredible. And there is a mosh core on Guided by the Moon, which is my favourite song on the album. He goes, uh, I have a bone to pick with death. He still follows me. Yeah. <laughs> the breakdown that comes in after it is absolutely skin-removing. It is fucking violent. I can't wait to show this to some of our friends, Leon, specifically, I think. Yeah, oh my God. He will He will obsess over this album by just how absolutely fucking instantaneously raw it is. One of the things that... One of the several things I adore about this album is how varied it is, despite it's a hardcore album. Uh, the opener, Belleville, that's got, like, groove tempo that you can find in Suffocation. And, and By the Grave, that slam that just runs through, yeah. that, runs through that song, you can find that in, like, Dying Fetus. So this is an album that, yes, it's hardcore, but it doesn't spend any of its 37 minutes pinning itself into one area. Um, as we mentioned, Misguided Sun has got legitimate like black metal vocal style running through, which is really interesting and, and weird when you put it into context of what this album is. But it works. Uh, there's pinch harmonics that burn through this. The drummer Kevin Kane is absolutely amazing. Cold Crutchfield. Like I say, that rhythm section, I think, is absolutely fucking incredible. Uh, I, I, but, you know, and this sounds a little bit tokenistic, and I mentioned this in my review as well. Every member needs to be here for this. And that sounds a, a little bit like, oh, you're just saying everyone's good. Uh, yeah, I am, kind of. But b- b- I'm saying that because this is an album that everyone just fucking shines. An absolute fucking light. Even the bassist, is a, whose name escapes me at the moment, is amazing on this. This is just a hardcore album, which is so far outside the realms of what you would expect a hardcore album to be. This is absolutely fucking amazing. I was I would have thought that Shadow of Intense Melancholy would run away with my album of the year after how like lavishly Isn't it amazing you've already got a competition to that the next fucking a week, week later? How lavishly we spoke about Melancholy last week. Uh, but at the moment I've got some serious considerations to make in terms of what I'd put as album of the year thus far. This is an absolutely fucking incredible album. And just to reiterate reiterate the point I made just as I was starting my discussion, with this album not loose are not just another sardine in the tin of hardcore they they are the they are the apex which should be looked at in terms of holy shit they were doing this on album two absolutely absolutely and i, I think this is going to predecess their eventual takeover of the genre yeah i, I think this is an album that the renaissance of heavy music that we are currently living through, which I feel so fucking happy that we are living through this absolute fucking unbelievable era of amazing new bands and bands that are already established making great decisions. And you and me both, and mate. You on. and me both. I think this is an album that in five, six years' time, me and you are in a pub or hopefully sitting across a microphone still, and we're saying, man, that was a really, really pivotal point in the renaissance of heavy music because why the fuck wouldn't it be? Mate, this is... I absolutely loved Self Supremacy by Malevolence. I yeah. thought the album was absolutely fucking brilliant. I think this is a much better album than that. Ooh, that's a tough one, that is, mate. Because, um... because uh, with Malevolence, I prefer... The vocalist's names escape me. I prefer the heavy vocalist to the doom vocalist. 
Mm-hmm. And I like it when it flickers into malevolence, but at times during self supremacy, there's a bit too much of the doom. But Fair I, I get, but like I don't want to take anything away from self supremacy. I think that was my second favorite album of the year at Canada, which I think was 2016. A- amazing album, amazing band. But I, I think this is a step above self supremacy. I think this is an album that will be looked at as an album that could really have potentially changed things for heavy music in the years to come because. You could look at this, you could show this to someone and be like, so this is what's really great about hardcore. Much like in the early 90s, you could have sat someone down and been like, have you heard of what groove metal is? And they'd be like, not particularly. This is what groove metal is and put on fucking K-Boys from Hell. Yeah, Vulgar by a Pair or something. Yeah. Where, and this album, I think you could get someone who's been out of the game with hardcore for years because it got boring and it was repetitive and no one was trying anything new. I think you could sit them down and be like, when was the last time you listened to a hardcore band? And they'd say, uh, uh, the early 2000s. I was like, I've got something to fucking show you. And you put Belleville on and within fucking 30 seconds... They're thinking... Half your furniture's in, in different areas of the half your, room. Half your furniture needs to be taken back for repairs, but on the other hand, you'll have just showed this new person a band that can genuinely take this drama forward. I can't say enough about Not Loose. I think this album, A Different Shade of Blue, is fucking brilliant. Um, I, I am pushed to tell you how much I am a fan of this album. Uh, the future of heavy music is here with Not Loose. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I think that's a fucking fair statement to say. And I think our, our end of the year awards podcast is going to be a tough one to prepare for. Isn't it just? Um, so that is the end of this week's episode. Uh, mate, that one flew by. Fucking hell. Um, so on next week's episode, as we discussed, uh, we weren't going to do one, but we've decided to do one on the, on the, uh, on the show. So we're going to be reviewing new albums from Wage War and the new Tool album, Fear Inoculum. So that's going to be two disparate styles that we're going to be looking into, but it's going to be a brand new Tool album. Uh, Sam, I'm assuming you're really excited for it. Yeah, I'm, I really am. I really, really am. I think it's... Uh... I think it's Tool's opportunity to reintroduce themselves to this generation, to this to this group of metal fans. Hey, mate, I, I can't wait for it personally because they're going to be... Yes, I listen to Lateralis and I get why they're absolutely massive. I'm not massive on prog rock, but I understand that Tool are one of the biggest bands of, of any time, really. They're absolutely fucking huge. So I'm interested to see if they can grab the casual Tool listener, such as myself, and make me a super fan so we've got that as well as wage war coming next week uh, remember to subscribe to us on youtube that would be absolutely amazing if you did we are closing in on that 100 you can follow us on twitter at noise uk and you can like us on facebook.com forward slash noise uk uh, we're going to be back uh, next week then to do reviews on wage war and tool thank you so much for listening to this episode we love you bye <laughs>